Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. The coronavirus pandemic has thrown the certainty of a May Senate election out of the window. With the Welsh Parliament recently debating legislation that could see the election delayed for up to six months, this evening we discuss what's going on with the Senate elections, uh, what could be implemented to see it go ahead as currently scheduled, as well as best discussing how to encourage 16 and 17 year olds and newly empowered foreign national voters to play their rightful part in Welsh democracy. Uh, joining us, we have Jess Blair, Director of the Electoral Reform Society Cymru. Hello, Jess. Hello, how are you? Very well, thank you very much for coming in. Um, and we also have Laura McAllister, who's Professor at Cardiff University and Chair of the 2017 Review into Senate Reform. Hello, Laura. Hi, Matt, how are you? Very well, thank you both so much for coming. So we'll start with, the, with this year's election, if it's going to happen this year. We know that the votes won't be counted overnight, but what else do we know, Jess, about the shape of the election that's uh, in front of us? I think we know that they're going to be different this year, and I think we can say that whether they go ahead in May or later in the year. We are looking likely to have an election where proxy voting and postal voting is going to potentially be a bit more important, and we're looking at an election where you're, you know, you're not in a massive queue for the polling station, you're looking at a socially distance uh, vote, you're looking at one wearing a mask. They've happened in other countries. I think the Welsh Government and the Senev have done a really good job in planning. The Electoral Commission have been really engaged um, and producing lots of guidance around this. So I think we're in a good position, hopefully to go ahead in May, provided the pandemic um, continues to um, have an improved situation here. Laura, do you think that it's desirable that the elections actually go ahead in May, given that everything that's been happening with the coronavirus pandemic. I know a lot of the smaller parties are quite concerned about their ability to be able to campaign. Do you think that uh, the parties and citizens in general would benefit from a campaign that was sort of free of the worries of coronavirus, even though I'm sure coronavirus response will play a, a large part in any election that does occur? Well, I think there's absolutely no doubt that the election should go ahead if it is safe and fair for them to proceed. But you know, we've been through such a turbulent time, haven't we? Not just over the past 12 months, but even over the past few weeks where, you know, earlier in January, it did look like it was more likely that the elections wouldn't take place in May. But thankfully, you know, with the rollout of the vaccines and some decline in the numbers of COVID cases in Wales, that looks much more likely now. And I think that's a very, very good thing for a couple of reasons. One, because of the five-year terms. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that that's a long, long time to be in a parliament, not just because of general tiredness and exhaustion and, and a degree of staleness that creeps in, certainly during the last year. This has been a very different period, obviously, with COVID and a virtual, you know, and a hybrid or virtual parliament. But anyway, I think it would have been a tired, sluggish feel in the last year of a five-year parliament. And also because I think... There's been a lot of churn amongst MSs, as we know, with several of them switching parties or leaving the party for which they were elected back in 2016. And there are a lot of democratic accountability issues associated with that, obviously, because if people cast their vote for, for example, UKIP in 2016 and then find they have a representative that no longer belongs to that party, then they have every right to feel aggrieved. And in fact, it's one of the weaknesses of our electoral system, isn't it, as we know. So I think that that's a really important consideration. Having said all of that, and Jess has alluded to that, it, it has got to be a safe and democratically robust election because, you know, the reputation and the profile of our still young democracy rests on that. I think it can be. Um, 
postal voting, you know, will, will invariably swallow up a large chunk of, of voters this time in a way that it doesn't normally. I mean, I was looking at some of the figures that the Scottish Parliament has put out there already, and they're, they're, they're kind of estimating that as, as high as 60 or 70 percent of people could vote by post. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it, really? You know, it's kind of four times what the normal uh, figure is. And I, I suspect, Jess knows more about this than me, but I suspect there's quite a lot of costs associated with that as well then in managing postal voting and so on. So all of these things are really important considerations. But, you know, the bottom line is the election should go ahead because it's a fundamental contract between voters and parliaments and politicians. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that, Laura. And I think the first point has to be about the safety of voters, but then we also have to consider the integrity of our democracy. Um, so if we can make sure that this election is safe and secure, um, if we can recognise the fact of that there will be challenges with increased postal voting, you know, at the moment, electoral administrators are working from home. That, that's just one of the problems with increased uh, postal voting. So we've got to recognise this fact, but on balance, I think Laura is absolutely correct and it is the right decision to proceed in May, you know, not, not least because the UK government have already confirmed that they will. So if you're having elections over the border in England and PCC elections here in Wales, it seems a bit it seems a bit of a tension if they weren't to go ahead in Wales for set of elections. Can I, can I just, I didn't answer your question, Matt. I'm aware of that, about the parties. I'm sorry, I was got off on a rant about democracy, but you, you're quite right to, to allude to the parties as well, because it's not just about casting their votes, it's about campaigning. And a fundamental tenet of, of elections is the campaigning process. Uh, and we know that a lot, a lot of that is normally done face to face on doorsteps, canvassing, delivering leaflets and so on, which, of course, is prohibited at the moment with the terms of our lockdown. And I think that does affect different parties differently. I mean, it would be interesting to see how all of this plays out. But, you know, if, if you're if you have limited resources for social media advertising and billboards and, the, you know, the grand schemes of everything that the, the, the bigger parties have, then clearly you will be quite aggrieved that, that during the election campaign, you're not able to follow your normal campaigning techniques, let's say. So I think that is an issue as well. But I'm not I'm not really sure what you can do about that, you know, because we know that even with the vaccine rollout, we're still going to be under some form of restriction for coming weeks and months. And so it's hard to imagine somebody standing on a doorstep in the worst scenario, really, where you're talking directly at somebody, you know, that you don't know. Um, I just can't see how traditional canvassing is going to play out in, in this um, in any set, shape or form. And the other point I was going to make, Matt, which is quite fundamental, is that the one thing about COVID is that, well, there are lots of things about COVID, but the one thing that I'm alluding to here about COVID is that it's really heightened the profile of the Welsh government, of Welsh ministers, the first minister, and indeed of devolution itself. And that gives us an opportunity, a democratic opportunity, with, with a, a more informed electorate, because they've seen that the Welsh government is making decisions about their everyday lives, not least public health and school closures and hospitals and so on, it gives them a chance to give a verdict on um, the performance of government. And that's what elections are about. So that's another really important reason why it should go ahead. Yes, you must have some thoughts from ERS about making sure that voters get as much access to materials and uh, campaign information as possible. So how do you think that can be facilitated, given everything that's going on at the moment? Surely that benefits the larger parties significantly over the smaller ones. 
do think there is a real um, case for concern that the smaller parties won't have a level playing field in this election, um, particularly around uh, kind of election materials through doors, which we know is um, has voluntarily has been ruled out um, at the moment. So hopefully the situation will get better so that smaller parties are allowed to do those kind of door to door leafleting. I do think that kind of on the doorstop thing is very, very unlikely to happen. And a big point here is also around diversity of candidates. If candidates are shielding, for example, they should have exact same um, access to the electorate as other candidates. So there is concern there. What I do think is that voter information ahead of this election has been pretty good. We've been working a lot with Welsh Government, the Senate Commission, the Electoral Commission, loads of different organisations out there who are providing much more information, materials, resources, um, events than have been in previous elections. And obviously we have the extension of the franchise to thank for that. But there is more information out there for those who want it. The challenge is just getting it to them. We have historically had quite bad turnout in uh, Welsh Senate elections or National Assembly for Wales elections. Do you think things like postal voting will make the difference or do you think it will be the increased media attention that Wales and devolution itself has had that would lead to more voters coming out or do you think there will be no difference at all? Laura would probably agree with me that um, guessing turnout or trying to predict turnout is <laughs> is a game that we don't want to really get into. But there are a number of factors that could affect it, and uh, not least the franchise has been extended. So obviously that has the potential to maybe even decrease turnout. You do, um, as Laura alluded to, have that higher potential resonance. So people have seen more of Mark Drayford, more of Welsh government on the news, more of Wales reflected on UK media as well. But it's just a really difficult thing to guess, especially when you've got this idea of um, how will the elections proceed? Will it be a kind of largely postal voting situation? Will there be um, emergency powers around proxy votes? You know, things like that are all gonna play into it. And I really wouldn't be one placing any bets on what turnout is gonna be on May the 6th or later. No, it is It is really hard. Jess, Jess is right to urge some caution, but Quite frankly, you know, if we can't get turnout over 50% this time, then I think it's a real shameful indictment of the democracy that we have in Wales because, you know, we're 21 years into the devolution project. You know, we will, will have had six elections and it, and it hasn't, you know, risen over that magic half of our population bothering to go out and vote. And go out, of course, yeah, it's traditionally been the way of doing it. But, but, you know, given that you won't necessarily have to go out and there will be much more emphasis on postal voting, even on proxy voting, you know, which is another important consideration, because I know that the emergency legislation has got provision around emergency proxy, which, of course, will affect a lot of people if they're shielding or become ill or uh, their family, you know, has family circumstances change. So I think it would be really disappointing if we don't uh, hit that 50 percent plus figure not least because the profile of devolution is higher, the traction of public policy emanating from the Welsh government is, is higher, um, and there is at least some greater awareness that these decisions are being made in Cardiff rather than in London. But having said all of that, I think a lot of it will depend on two other important factors, whether it turns out to be a, a Welsh election or a UK verdict election. You know, will it be a... a decision about how well Boris Johnson and his government is doing generally in the big scheme politics, or will it be about the Welsh government's record? I think that's quite important. And, and I think the, the other factor is, where will we be at that point with COVID? 
will we be almost lulled into a false sense of security because the vaccine program has, has rolled out well? We hope, you know, let's hope that continues. And so people feel, ah, OK, it's all done and dusted. Um, things go back to normal. Um, you know, I won't worry too much about it. Um, I don't know that. And then finally, I think it, it's also to do with the competitiveness of the election. I mean, you know, there's got to be a motivation for the three big parties, the Conservatives, Plaid Cymru and Labour. There's got to be a motivation for their voters to go out and vote. And we know that amongst those groups, the Conservatives are usually the least likely to go out and vote in a devolved election. Well, who knows if it looks competitive, as some of the polls allude to, you know, that the, the votes could go three ways between those parties, then that might encourage more Conservative voters to um, go out. And that's where the headroom is, really. Although, you know, in fairness, there's headroom for the other two big parties as well, because, you know, clearly their voters aren't all turning up uh, for devolved elections either. What sort of role do you think broadcasters have to play in, in ensuring that people have all the information that they would otherwise need to, to make an informed decision? I think broadcasters have a key role to play, uh, particularly kind of your larger, you know, your BBC, your ITVs, your S4Cs, your Channel 4s, all of those. But I think we need to kind of be thinking beyond traditional broadcast media now. This isn't the first election that's going to be run largely on social media. And social media is going to be even more important with candidates not being able to do kind of formal leafleting and door-to-door visits. And we have massive concerns about that. You know, it's still a very much an unregulated Wild West. Um, Scotland are introducing imprints for digital campaigning this year. We aren't in Wales. Um, so there are concerns around that level of social media, and that puts kind of an obligation on traditional broadcasters to compensate, to do more to tackle disinformation. Um, it puts pressure on social media companies to be more aware of this election and do more about regulating and things like that there too. So everyone's got a role, but it doesn't necessarily mean um, all positive things. Clearly, it's going to be a social media election but when you say that for, for people like us who are kind of political anoraks you know we think that means twitter and we think that means the kind of usual debate that we have on twitter about politics but it, but it isn't you know it's it's facebook you know and community groups on facebook that can generate a real localized issue that becomes you know hyper local but but has a real resonance in a constituency and that's where we might see some strange results I guess if, is if that gets traction you know if there is something hyper local that takes on a real significance that gets people out to vote then we might see some weird patterns of voting and, and, and allegiances between people who would normally be for example Labour or Plaid voters or Labour and Tory voters so I think that's quite interesting I think, you know, the days where the BBC's political, BBC Wales's political coverage is the most important factor, I think, are long gone, you know, if, if that ever was the case, to be perfectly honest, because people take their news from such a variety of sources and they and it tends to be re, self-reinforcing, doesn't it? You know, you don't listen to the news if it doesn't agree with your standpoint or you don't take your information from points that don't agree with your standpoint. Where that would play out, interestingly, is amongst younger voters, I think, you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to talk about 16 and 17 year olds. But we don't have as much data about, you know, where they will take their political information from because clearly they haven't voted in another Senate election. So that that would be interesting. The same with, you know, foreign nationals is, you know, 100,000 potential new voters out there. And, and as I said, when we you know came out with that recommendation from our expert panel and people in certain parties said to me, oh, well, that just benefits parties on the left. And I kind of said, well, hang on a minute. 
you're basically writing off the judgment of you know a particular age group. If you're if you don't think your party can convince them to vote for you, then what are you doing in politics? You know, um, there is no way in the world that all 16 and 17 year olds are of one mind. You know, that would be totally counterintuitive. So I, I think that's a kind of defeatist position. But what we don't know is how to how to reach them effectively, or the parties don't know how to reach them effectively because we just don't have the longitudinal evidence yet. Yeah, didn't the last time the franchise was extended to 18, I think the Conservatives won the next general election, so it's hardly a hard and fast rule that they're all yeah, left-wing. So we'll, we'll move on to 16 and 17-year-olds now as well. So we have had uh, an extension of this franchise, and now 16 and 17-year-olds will be able to vote in Senate elections where they haven't previously been able to, as well as foreign nationals. Who needs to drive that information campaign that these people can vote? Because I've spoken to a lot of my friends who are from... Uh, the US or France, etc. And they had absolutely no idea that they'll be able to vote in the Senate election. So where does this campaign to inform need to come from? I think there's a little bit of caution here. So obviously, the Senate elections in May or whenever they happen, are a really crucial step. But this is a long term generational change that's going to happen. We are not expecting miracles in May or later this year, we're expecting the start of a process. Um, and I do think that Wales is a little bit ahead of the game actually so um, if you compare it to when Scotland um, extended the franchise you kind of had small working groups out there we are sitting on Welsh government working groups we're running our own working group with 60 different grassroots organizations we are well ahead of the game in terms of making sure the information that the official sources are producing like the electoral commission Welsh government the senate are being pushed out into communities what is still missing I think is a little bit more kind of political education schools and there's a huge challenge in putting that on the agenda when we have um, schools not actually <laughs> in the building like how do we do that online and how do we make sure that teacher training and all of that is brought along it's not going to happen probably fully by May that's why we're looking kind of a longer term process and a generational overhaul what really is concerning me though is the lack of engagement from the parties on this. Parties so far, I know of a number of organisations who've written to parties asking for them to better engage with young people in particular or new newly enfranchised qualifying foreign citizens. They haven't had any response. So I think parties really need to up their game in producing manifestos that appeal to different audiences, producing policies that appeal to different audiences and making sure that they're communicating in a different way. Like the same old stuff isn't gonna work for, um, well, frankly, it hasn't ever worked. So why not make, take the opportunity to do something differently and really like grasp the nettle here? I think that's fair. Um, Jess knows better than me, you know, what the party's response has been to specific requests, but I haven't really picked up any great energy around uh, votes for younger people in particular. But, but I have amongst some of the sort of civic society organisations. I mean, obviously, ERS have been working very closely on this, but also the Children's Commissioner. I know that some of the projects around political education and engagement around elections has been driven there. And there are lots of kind of creative projects, aren't there, to get younger people um, attuned. But, you know, when, when we wrote the expert panel report, you know, Parliament that Works for Wales, Clearly, we were expecting that there would be a run-in of political education through the school curriculum in the lead to the 2021 election, and that hasn't been possible. It's hard enough, isn't it, to manage you know, the schooling of, of young people at the moment online and blended and so on to, to, without you know, having something else to worry about. So I can understand why the reasons, what the reasons are for that. But I think it's a real shame because you know, it, it was a massive opportunity. If you look back to Scotland, you know, when 
young people aged 16 and 17 were first able to vote in the Scottish Indy Ref, I think. Um, the figure for 16 to 18-year-olds was 50% higher than for 18 to 25-year-olds in turnout. That gives you a taste of what's possible, really. But, but I would caution against judging the turnout from young people in this election and assuming if it isn't what we would like it to be, because, you know, the more the better, obviously, in a democracy. Um, if it isn't what we would like it to be, then I think we need to just reserve judgment because this has been a most unusual year leading up to it. And we haven't quite had the run in that we would have liked to have had with, you know, the Electoral Commission, with the work of ERS and other organisations to try and promote the elections effectively. So, so, you know, we've got to look at this when there's been a little bit more space to actually ensure young people are aware of the, the opportunities that they have. Just to promote, there are loads of resources that have been developed and are available free to use. So if any of your listeners want to have a look for those, they're all on Hub. If you just search Sunday of Election on Hub, you'd find them. The Children's Commissioner are doing a mock election project for all 11 to 15 year olds called Project Vote. That's available on their website as well. And there's some really great stuff that we're also promoting at ERS Cymru. So have a look on our Twitter too. Thanks, Jess. I think we'll probably try and put them in the, the show notes for everybody so they can have a look. We've talked about this election. Let's talk about future elections. Do you think this is the last Senate election we will see under the current DeHaunt AMM system? Well, I very much hope so, <laughs> for obvious reasons. I mean, I think the, the electoral system has been revealed for being completely dysfunctional now. It was never a system that I had great faith in. And, you know, the praise that's been lauded on what is essentially a very partial proportional representation system and, e and even more partial in Wales than it is in Scotland, of course, because of the balance between the regional list AMs, now MSs, and the constituency MSs. So it's always been a pretty poor compromise of an electoral system. And I think the fact that, you know, we had five party representation in 2016 displayed some of the weaknesses in all their glory, basically, not least the fact, you know, that members have switched parties with no um, redress and with the electorate having no input in that, or indeed the existing party having no input in that as well. So I would hope so. I think we need to have a much more mature conversation now about a different electoral system. But, and, you know, this is the bottom line, isn't it? We're not going to change the electoral system unless we change the size of the Senev because the two things go hand in hand. I can't imagine. I mean, some people would argue this, by the way, but I can't imagine how we would manage to change the electoral system without increasing the size of the Senev. So if you take those two as being opposite sides of the same coin, uh, then we need to have the debate yet again about how do we have a fit-for-purpose Senev. And... Quite frankly, you know, I, I, I will be astounded if people are happy to accept mealy-mouthed manifesto commitments from the main parties, which don't say anything significant about having a fit-for-purpose Senate, because this Senate is not fit-for-purpose. I mean, the evidence is there. It, it was digested in our report to Parliament for Wales, and, and quite frankly, we had no evidence counter to our recommendations that was well-researched, that was tightly evidenced, and that challenged the conclusions that we came to. So, you know, unless somebody finds that and justifies having a, a, a situation where scrutiny can only happen on a very piecemeal basis, as it does currently, then um, I think it will be pretty 
scandalous if parties go into this election without a clear proposal for changing the size of the Senate. And the other factor, and I know Jess wants to come in, but the other the other factor is we're going to see a decline in the number of MPs from Wales. You know, that will happen. We don't know when exactly it will happen, but it will happen. So let's contextualise this. We've lost our MEPs, you know, who are significant representatives. At some point, we'll rationalise local government because, you know, that we have too many councillors. There's no doubt about that. And we are going to lose probably a quarter of our MPs or around a quarter of our MPs. So if ever there was a time, contextualise that further by, by the powers that the Senate now has and its borrowing and fiscal powers, um, there is never a better time to really argue the case for a properly fit-for-purpose Senate. And if people lack courage to do that, then I think that will be a huge, huge political disappointment. I fully agree with what Laura's just said. And I think the critical point here is for parties to include commitments in the manifestos, but also not forget them when it comes to tabling down programmes of government. And we really need to see a lot of courage um, and a lot of, you know, recognising the fact that we can't kind of lie to voters. We have to be really honest with voters that we do not have sufficient numbers of scrutiny and therefore we can't just make excuses or tinker around the edges. We have to pursue wholesale reform. I know that it's difficult. I know there's a pandemic on, but this is about the democracy of our nation. And this is about the ability to scrutinise when things like a pandemic come along that add pressure. So, you know, for the party leaders right now, um, they really need to be thinking about how they front this up and make this happen because, you know, it's a scandal that it hasn't already. I think there are two, two other really important factors as well, which might help in this debate. The fact that if the election happens in a way that we expect it to, and who knows, there's still plenty of time for it to change, then we might see a, a, a coalition or an agreement between Labour and Plaid Cymru. That would lend itself very well to this agenda, one assumes. And the second factor is that Mark Drakeford, you know, if if Mark, if Welsh Labour do well in the election or as well as furnishes them with their foothold in government, um, Mark Drakeford's made it clear that he wouldn't stay for the whole of the um, the whole of the term. This could be a very, very important legacy project for him to manage before he departs. And I think that's a, an opportunity as well. Contextually, I think that the time is right, you know, not just because of the changes in the number of MPs, but because people have seen what politicians actually do. They may not agree with what they do and the decisions they've made during COVID, but they've seen what they do. And I think if you said to people, we're losing a quarter of our MPs, we're underpowered for these reasons in the Senate, the Senate is taking on more powers, do you want politicians there to represent you? In a mature, civilised, intelligent conversation, I think most people will understand that. You always get the you know, knee-jerk reactions to more politicians, but, but every country in the world that has tried to amend its parliament to create a fit-for-purpose one has, has ridden that storm and come out the other end. And, and, the, and generally speaking, the public are more content with a working parliament than with a dysfunctional parliament. And I think we've got to remember that in the debates. Yeah, this is kind of, for me, this is the opposite of populism. This isn't like trying to make a very easy answer to a complex problem. This is a really difficult thing to do, but one that is quite like, a, it's a simple problem. You know, you haven't got enough members to scrutinise and hold government to account. Therefore, you increase members, you improve our democracy, you ensure that democracy in Wales is working better for the people who live here. I'm interested to hear from both of you on this, sort of what response you have had from 
the Welsh political parties in relation to suggestions of reform? Obviously, Laura, in your report in 2017 that proposed quite sweeping changes to the current electoral settlement, what sort of reaction did you have then and, and, and have you had after that as well to suggestions of reform? Yeah, um, well, if I'm being brutally honest, I think um, there's been a different response to me face to face than what was said in party groups. No surprises there. You know, I know how this works, of course, and I'm not under any illusions that, that this was ever going to be an issue that the party said, thank you very much for a wonderful report. Let's put it in our manifesto and away to go. You know, it's never going to be like that. And Nobody needs to tell me that that wasn't going to be the case. But if you spoke to most people in the, the three big parties in the Senev, I think all of them recognised the scenarios that we were painting in our report, Parliament that Works for Wales. They knew that the MSs who put their backs into it were hugely stretched in terms of their workload and in terms of their contributions. Um, it's a different argument, of course, to talk about caliber of some MSs, which you know is a fair argument to have. But in any parliament, you will have some politicians who, quite frankly, you would not appoint to those positions. Let's say I'm being, trying to be kind about this whole debate. By the way, it's no different in Wales than it is in Scotland or Northern Ireland or the House of Commons. So we're not exceptional in this regard. But any politician who is equipped to do the job recognises that he or she is stretched, overstretched, and therefore is not doing a good job some of the time. However, everyone also knows that this is not a popular issue with the electorate. But I do think you can overplay that, you know, for the reasons Jess mentioned a moment ago. You know, I think rational debate is possible. And especially, actually, the, the best opportunity was missed because had there been a piece of commission-sponsored legislation to change the size of the Senate, then none of the political parties would have had the bigger hit that they would, will have to have at some point now. But that's, you know, that's water under the bridge to some extent. If, if you're asking about the electoral system, I think that's a completely different issue. And actually, it's, a, it's a, a change in field as well, because traditionally, I think Welsh Labour felt that any change in the electoral system to a more proportional one would affect them badly and negatively. But all of our detailed modelling in the report, and I've shared lots of figures that aren't, aren't actually in the report with, with politicians in Welsh Labour, several of those models would actually benefit Labour in the current climate, you know, would actually generate more MSs rather than fewer MSs for them. And I think perhaps we need to revisit that debate. It, same goes for the Conservatives too, by the way. I mean, you know, you, you take the example of uh, the North Wales region. I don't want to get too techy about this now, but, you know, you look at the North Wales region where the Tories are clearly going to campaign hard in the Senate election because they won seats there, you know, in the so-called red wall seats in the UK general election. But the problem they've got this time is if they do win seats there, say they win two seats from Labour, Labour will gain a seat on the North Wales regional list. And therefore, it's only a one game, one net gain for them. Where they would need to make gains to be really challenging, you know, Labour for, for a foothold in government are in the South Wales seats. And at the moment, that's a really hard nut to crack. So you can see where that kind of disillusion in Conservative ranks comes from. And I keep saying to them, it's down to the electoral system as well, you know, because if you had a more proportional electoral system, you would have a better chance of actually winning as well, or at least doing better. 
So I think, you know, those arguments have to be made over and over again, really, in relation to STV and flexible list, you know, either of which would be better systems than the monster that we've got. There's a point here, isn't there, that parties get really bogged down in electoral systems. And the reality is an electoral system doesn't make or break a party. It's how you run that election. It's how you campaign and how you reflect that electoral system. So what we see in the Republic of Ireland is parties campaigning on numbers. So give us number two on the list, give us number one on the list in different places. So it's just about parties being a little bit smarter. And I think what I was saying before about parties being honest comes back to that more um, more members debate. We've met with many politicians from different parties who all agree that more members are needed, but sit there and go, but we're not going to say that. Let's be honest with voters. Let's talk about the real issues in terms of standard scrutiny. Let's talk about why we need more members and front up. Politicians really do need to front up. They need to be honest. They need to have that mature conversation, that mature debate with voters. So looking again to the future, we've discussed legislation that could deal with the upcoming election. We've looked at potential legislation for reforming the Senate and its electoral system. Now that the Welsh Government and the Welsh Senate have power over Welsh elections. What would be the one ideal move for each of you that you would want to see implemented for Welsh elections? Oh God, that's quite a tough question, isn't it? Um, I think you've got, to, you've got to see this in the round. Having control over elections is a real opportunity, but it's also a massive responsibility because elections are very rule and regulation heavy, aren't they? You know, there's so much to do with the administration of them and, you know, the regulator and the, the electoral commission and so on. But for the ordinary member of the public, it's about him or her casting their vote for their preferred candidate. But for that to happen in a way that is lively and engaged, we really need to go back to some basics. And I think for me, it's about returning to the political education not only of young people, actually, but of all of us, because we've all got more to learn about the democratic process in Wales. I mean, you know, how many of us have sat in the pub when we could sit in the pub um, and chatted to our friends about the Senev and the elections? And it, it's amazing, isn't it, that lots of our professional friends, you know, people who are working in jobs that may even be related to devolution, don't really understand either the competencies of the Senev and, and the Welsh government or indeed the electoral system. You know, lots of my friends who are really incredibly bright people have said to me, God, I, you know, I don't know where, you know, what difference it makes where, when I cast my vote for the regional list and how that impacts on who gets in. And I think an informed electorate is always a better electorate, you know, and will always boost turnout over time. And when we were criticised by those who don't agree with votes at 16, by the way, at the time of the um, report, People kind of said, oh, well, you know, um, why are you investing in political education for young people? I mean, you could do that with an older group. And my answer was always, well, yeah, let's do it. You know, let's start with the controlled environment of the school and the education uh, context. But why not? Why can't we work on different groups, you know, maybe uh, work, work on women and, you know, talk to them about issues that are relevant or older people, you know, retired people. What are the specific issues that they would like to know more about in politics? It's not it's not a kind of either or any of this. It's just that clearly with the extension of the franchise, young voters offered an opportunity to actually create an informed young electorate as well. And, you know, wh why not do that for everyone? Jess, what's your one ideal change to Wales's elections? 
Well, the Electoral Reform Society would always say the electoral system is pretty important, but I think Laura's point is completely right. You can have the best electoral system in the world, but if only 45% of people are turning up to vote in your election, there's a problem there. Let's talk about political education. Let's talk about putting that in the curriculum. You know, it, we've kind of had the response before from Welsh Government that this is kind of like a side topic or, you know, we, we get calls every single day to put new things in the curriculum. This is an integral part of what a person needs to learn to be an effective and informed citizen of Wales and it's an it's it's central to making sure Wales works as a democracy it feeds into things like turnout and elections yeah being able to combat fake news and dis and misinformation it also lends itself to greater diversity the more people you engage and the more, more people are informed the more likely you are to get people trying to come forward and stand so it's at the center of everything we're doing so I think Laura is absolutely right to prioritize that and I have another one, Matt, just quickly, because yeah, go on. I, go on, I know you said one, so it's not really fair of me to have another one. But I think we've got to keep diversity of politicians really high on the agenda. You know, we've campaigned, obviously, for, for quotas built into the electoral system on gender. But, but Dawn Bowden's committee also talked about further research around Black, Asian, minority, ethnic um, candidates, and I think disability and age are, are really important features as well. You know, th this is just basic stuff. And if anybody tells me again that this is about political correctness and, you know, I'll vote for a woman or I'll vote for a black person, they're completely and utterly missing the point. You know, at the moment, we simply don't have a profile um, other than on gender, and that's always at risk in Senate elections. We don't have a profile that reflects the population of Wales. Therefore, we have a gap in public relations between voters and the people who represent them. And therefore, we create a negative spiral down in terms of encouraging people to stand as candidates. And if the parties can't be persuaded voluntarily to select a more diverse slate of candidates, and quite frankly, with a few exceptions, it looks as if they, they can't be, then we need to really go back to the issue of quotas. I, you know, I'm fed up with saying nobody likes quotas. Well, actually, I do like quotas because they seem to me to be the only way of actually remedying parliaments that are entirely male or overwhelmingly male, overwhelmingly of a certain age and overwhelmingly white. So, you know, I like quotas because they could potentially shatter that profile. And surely that's a good thing. You know, I'll always agree with you with this one, Laura, as well. Um, we're, we're a bit annoying, aren't we? We're two podcast guests that entirely agree with each other. I think the candidate selection process this year has flown a little bit under the radar of going on. And I am, to be honest, a bit appalled by the kind of process of selection. They have not stepped up at all. Um, you know, some parties have continued with organ shortlists and, and things like that. But other parties have completely slid back, let's say. Um, looking at Plaid Cymru's list, they are primarily male and um, primarily male topped. Um, the Conservative Party have probably uh, reduced, let's say, the number of female candidates they're having this time round. What we are likely to see, um, thank God, is the first um, Black, Asian and minority ethnic female elected this time around. But one doesn't make up for 22 years of inaction. Do you know what I mean? We need to be talking to parties and parties have clearly demonstrated they're not going to do it voluntarily. Let's have that discussion when we're looking at the size of the Senate and we're looking at the electoral system. Let's build this discussion on diversity into that. And just makes a really good point there, which is about size again, because the reason that the parties have to be dragged, some of them, most of them have to be dragged kicking and screaming to this agenda is because of 
power and ownership of power currently. And, you know, if you're, if you're an MS who is representing a seat, you know, clearly you're not going to want to give up your seat in order to have a, a different person represented there. But with a larger Senev and a different electoral system, it gives, uh, you know, quite unique opportunities then to select candidates differently. And not just opportunities, but benefits, because in every STV system, the potential for diversity is built in. And actually, the electorate have been proven to respond better to diverse slates in STV. So, you know, it's a kind of added incentive and an added benefit, a bonus for the parties in that regard. Sadly, on that note, we're out of time, but thank you so much to both of you for for coming uh, to speak to us today. If people want to find you and hear more from you, where can they find you on Twitter, Laura? Uh, So my my Twitter handle is just at Laura McAllister. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And Jess? I'm at Jess Blair 7 or um, ERS Cymru is at ERS Cymru. Wonderful. Thank you both so much. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please don't forget to find us on Medium at Hayrothbog Cymru, on Facebook at Hayrothbog Cymru, and on Twitter at Hayrothblog. Thank you for listening to Hayroth. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.